compels you. The call of Christ compels you. The call of Christ compels you. Hello and welcome to an Englishman and an Irishman and an Irish. I'm not doing that every week. Welcome to an Englishman and an Irishman go to the movies. The podcast that is compelled by the power of Christ. Joining me this week, as always, is the man who was exercised as a child and my God does it show, Sean Ferrick. Alter boy for two years. Oh dear Lord. And also joining us once again this week and for the entire month of October is the man who, until this week, thought exercising was something you did at the gym. <laughs> it's Albert Hogan. Ha 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 ha. I'm so proud of that. You laugh more, bitches. That was, laugh. That was a joke. It, it is actually very, very funny. It is funny. Thank you. But, Good. But let's yeah. let's excise it from the uh, podcast. It... Excise it from the on, from the podcast. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. So this week we're going to be talking about the Great Escape, um, which no, <laughs> which from a certain character's point of view. I mean, yeah, somebody yeah. certainly escapes out of a window. That's for sure. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Spoiler much like that. a Nolan film, you've gone right to the end first. But have I? I mean, I have. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> Stop starting your podcast with the end of your podcast. Damn it. Um, so, hello. We've got Albert Hogan. We've got Sean Ferrick. And we are going to talk about The Exorcist. You can stop me anytime you want. Carry on. Just do Yeah. So, royalty-free music. We love it, but I think we're probably going to use it anyway. Um, so we're going to dive straight in and talk about The Exorcist. Now, up front, I didn't, I don't know, I think I knew that Albert would like this movie because it's 70s, and I think you're, you can appreciate an older movie, but I wasn't quite prepared for for how much you were going to love it. So it gave me a look of incredulity there. Yeah, so again, for the benefit of your listeners, I have not avoided horror movies pretty much all my life and um so for the month of october i've been subjected to all the classics um and i am now i think kicking myself that i have never watched this film Uh, i love it i love that that was your reaction as well i i think it might have gone straight in to the top 10 films of all time for me brilliant that's awesome that is absolutely amazing that's so cool where does it sit with you sean in it's certainly one of the best horror films, thriller films, drama films. It's in a way, it's a bit of a genre bender. Um, it is not because this like, it feels about seventy five percent nothing, <laughs> like seventy five percent kind of thriller slash drama, and yeah. then like kind of the last half an hour is just pure horror. It's. It's it's very much. I feel it's very much. Um, it's aimed at. So this is what I said to Albert before. I don't think that this is a scary film in the way that we think. Oh no, this is scary. This is a deeply unsettling film. Yeah, hundred percent. It is a creepy film. Like it is the kind of you know I'm sitting there and I feel uncomfortable watching. And even now, like I, right, true story. When I was about ten, um, my my mate Brad, actual name. Um, he's dead, it's fine. Um, but, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we were just hanging out, and then his sister, 
who was a little bit older than us. She was watching The Exorcist, middle of the day, as you do, uh, in the next room. And we walked in at the scene when everything's flying around the room. Yeah. And it's before the exorcism starts. But it, she's like, oh no, oh no, she's possessed. Um, and I didn't sleep for a week. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And that was it. And then, so I, I went to, I went to, I was like, dad, I need to know what happens. Will you please rent me a copy of The Exorcist? And so no. he did. He was just like, best of <laughs> Parenting 101. And uh, yeah, stuck it on. And watching it through, I didn't walk away with nightmares, but I've never forgotten that first experience of watching the film all the way through. Yeah, it's memorable, isn't it? Like, it's, I kept pinching myself that it was made in the 70s. Like, you kind of, I don't know if it's the rose-tinted glasses of, yeah, today we're all exposed to violence and swearing and guts and gore in every other movie that maybe we think the past was a bit more censored or a bit more prim and proper. But this movie, it drops the C-bomb fairly early on. And I, thought, I wasn't expecting that. I was kind of expecting so what, to be frequently? a bit more refined. Yeah, a bit more refined. But it's it definitely cunts its way through, through half the film. And yeah, there we go. There's the explicit rating for the podcast. Boom. I think the thing, yeah. the thing about this film, though, is like, it's one of those films you almost want to have seen when it was originally released because it must have been so shocking. Shocking. And I mean, there's, you know, I've, I've never, I've never watched the film, but I know a lot of the kind of pop culture stuff around it. Um, so you know, going into, it, I was thinking, oh, you know, I know she spins her head around and she vomits on the priest and stuff like that, but. There's so much more in this film that I just had no idea about. And I would love to have been back in 1973 queuing up for opening night on this and just seen it on the big screen. And it's kind of, you know, there's a few films like that I would say I wish I was around when it was released and I could have watched it as a as a premiere audience. Yeah, absolutely. And people did queue for this movie. Yeah. They mm. This got the... I remember the word of mouth around Paranormal Activity and how this is the movie that gave people heart attacks and that people passed out in the cinema. And I imagine The Exorcist had the same kind of word of mouth. Of, you have not seen anything like this before. And I back then, I can fully believe it. Um, there, there, yeah, there is stuff in this film that... If, if it haunts us, imagine what a 90s, 1970s audience would have felt about it. I think it's the, the magazine Cinefantastique. Uh, hope I pronounced that right. Uh, but they... They wrote an excellent, excellent review of it. The Exorcist did for the horror film what 2001 did for sci-fi films. It legitimised it in the eyes of thousands who previously considered horror movies as nothing more than a giggle. They were not ready for this. And it's got a lot of 2001 slapped all over it. Like, this movie takes its time. It is. It wants to tell a story, and damn it, it tells the story at its own pace. Hmm. It's cold. It's a very cold film. Mm. And I think that in the same way that I would say 2000, a lot of Kubrick films are cold. And, you know, you feel, you know, like Tron and Aaron Jumper yeah. while you're watching it. Um, yeah, it feels but, like everybody uh, is pretty emotionless until something traumatic happens. And then it's all the feelings. And I think, and actually, Albert, so this is my first question to you about this, right? What I get from that is that they play the realism they dial it all the way up to 11. I mean, it feels to me that by the time they say exorcism, you're there with them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> how do you feel? like In terms of how it was presented, you know, tell us your initial reaction to Reagan McNeil. 
Right. Well, I should preface this by saying I did read the book when I was in university. So, you know, many, many, many years ago. Um, but... Many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you to shut the fuck up, Ian. <laughs> um, yes, so I read the book many, 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 many years ago. Um, and it didn't stick with me in the way that the film stuck with me. But I obviously remember bits and pieces from the, the story. Um, I'm always a believer that the book is better than the film. It's the opposite here. I think the film is significantly better than the book. Um, but I remember, you know, being quite struck by um, Reagan and the the character, and oh my god, like um, Linda Blair just is sensational in that role. Um, it start. See, I disagree slightly in that. Yes, I agree. There's a lot of kind of starkness to the film and a lot of coldness to it. But actually, there's a real warmth between. Um, Chris and Reagan that, that really sort of makes it all the more shocking when she sort of descends into her possession um, because there's some really lovely scenes where the two of them are actually surprisingly considering her mum's an actor like they're actually really close and really um, intimate with each other so so my partner found that unbelievable she was like yeah her mum's an actor there's no way they're that close and I was like no some some people can have Really, really heartfelt relationships. It can happen. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it is, it's not the norm, is it? No, it's not. Um, so that was the bit that made me, made me feel more for Chris as the film went on because this is a mother that really loves her daughter, is close to her, and suddenly she's looking at, you know, all sorts of weird shit going on. Literally um, a monster. Literally a monster. So, yeah, I mean, I was screaming for the exorcism by the time it came, and I was kind of like, <laughs> have you not got to it sooner? But, you know, there's a film to be made. <laughs> Um, and it's interesting because in the novel, from what I remember, they go into the kind of the spiritual, mystical side of it a bit more. So you learn a bit more about the actual um, possession side of it, which is not as prevalent in the film. But actually, I think that the film is better for it. Yeah. And I was expecting a bit more of that because mm. for a film called The Exorcism, they play it into science quite a lot. So when the doctors were all like around the they, they the eighty eight therapists and scientists have run out of options. They're like, fuck it, exorcism. There is it's it's a bit of an old fashioned result, but it practice, but it gets a result. And the reason it gets a result is because if psychologically you think you're possessed, then psychologically an exorcism will make you think you're not possessed. So it kind of gives you a scientific a scientific out, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. But what I love in the film is that they make the actual medical procedures as bloody scary as the exorcism. Oh my god, you're not. I mean, wrong that, that angio was it an angioplasty where there's just the blood yeah. shooting. I mean, that is that is Spurting actually the artery. That was my only jump scare in the film was that moment. Yeah, <laughs> Genuinely, there was a lot of uh, at the time. Now this this could be anecdotal, but there was a lot of uh, stories of that's where people fainted. That's where people get had it. the problem because that's real you I know, had to oh, look okay, away it wasn't, but you know what I mean like that was you could be lying there on the bed and yes it's just a perfectly straightforward procedure um, and you know 1973's most advanced x-ray machine which it looks like it was absolutely terrifying especially for <laughs> and this is what the, the thing that really gets me for the whole thing is it's wrong to see a child 
Yes. In this possession, in this position, I was going to say in this possession, but position, possession, <laughs> exactly. It is wrong to see what she suffers. Now it's fucking. If you want to get a reaction from an audience, ah, the kid's a demon. Yeah, and you know there were I mean? some really, really, really nice shots of um, uh, the mother's name, um, uh, Chris. Chris, sorry, of her in the observation deck, looking down and cringing because of what her daughter is going through. Um, you really, really feel for her because even the the cure in inverted commas is putting her through pain as well, and the the, the thud, 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 thud of all of like the medical machinery. Like, there's no MRI, and MRIs are scary. Like, it compared to our science, this is some prehistoric di- diagnosis stuff she's being put through. Mm. And but picking up on what you're saying about the medical sense, I mean that's the thing that really stuck out to me when watching the film is the sound design and the, the absolute the lack of soundtrack but the 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 use of sounds in soundscape soundscape um kind of ambient stuff to really unsettle you so that i think is where that scene in particular was really grueling is that absolute thudding yeah and intercutting that with the look on her face that so she's like wincing and it, it's really disconcerting and don't move because if you move, move. you're going to sever that artery oh, yeah um, they won an Oscar for the sound for the film, as they one, should of one of the two, and I'm delighted they did because you're exactly right. It just it just sets your teeth on edge, and it does. I couldn't because this is just what we do on this podcast. We talk about Tenet. I couldn't help but compare it to Tenet because so there's one scene in particular when Chris is walking. I mean, again, like Halloween, there's a fuckload of walking in this movie. She's walking past Damien's church or office or whatever and Damien is talking to I think it's to Merrin or he's talking to he's talking to another priest but an airplane a deafening airplane goes across and blocks out their conversation so that she can't hear what they're talking about and it's beautifully done because you know it's deliberate so you're not thinking well why can't I hear what he's saying the airplane is so obvious that it that's why you can't hear it. Whereas with Tenet, it's just like, no, I can't hear it because you're being stupid with the audio. But yeah, I think that that's the thing for me with this film and why I loved it so much. Technically, it is a masterpiece. Yes. It is like the sound, um, you know, the, the use of cinematography, like the light and shade, it was incredible. Tell uh, me more, tell me more, because this is the stuff that I think really hit home with you, didn't it? So... What I was really struck with was the opening because you've got that kind of what opening ten minutes or so in yes. in Iran, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's the Middle East, uh, Iraq. Iraq, Iraq. Sorry, northern Iraq. Yeah, which in the novel, if I remember rightly, it's only a couple of pages, but they really expand it's... in the film, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I was blown away by, blown away by, was the the use of shots of what were actually not central to the narrative, but were kind of symbols of things to come. Because actually, after I finished watching the film, I went straight back and watched that opening again. Because it's so disconnected from the rest of the film. It's kind of like, how does it this is. actually work? And then you start it's to see... deliberately you, destroyed. You start to see the foreshadowing. Like, there's that amazing shot of a, a blind local man being led by someone else. And you yes. kind of go, is that a symbol of, you know, someone being led into possession? Um, there's the amazing... Um, Again, the sound design around um, when Merrin finds the the statue. I don't know if you noticed, but you could hear bees in the background and flies and stuff. It's just really eerie, eerie. eerie. 
Um, oh, I love when he's having a drink at that cafe, and I thought it was the score in the background going ching 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 ching, and then that goes on for like a minute, and then he starts walking, and it's actually three guys that are they've got anvils and they're hammering on something, and that's yeah. the sound, but it's so melodic that you don't realise that's background noise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then there's lots of ominous shots, like, you know, you see, um, you, if you remember where he's nearly run over by the, the horse and carriage, and there's that mm. really eerie-looking woman oh. Um, oh. who freaked me out a bit when I saw her. So there's all these kind of, like, um, it's almost like the spirit's taunting him in a way, kind of going, you know. Yeah. Um, You're about to unlock some shit. Yeah. And the other thing, technically, that's amazing is the makeup. I mean, uh... Max von Sydow was like, he couldn't have been that old in this, right? Because not at all. No, he was. I mean, he thirties, potentially forties. I mean, the makeup is insane. They make incredible. him look like old, old Picard in um, uh, uh, the inner light. Oh, the, inner light, inner light. Thank you. It absolutely looks like him, but a better job. <laughs> yeah, and, and he was forty-four, God, and he looks like he was in his seventies. I mean, it was incredible. Um, yeah. And so, like, technically, it's just, it's blown my mind. And I have not stopped thinking about the film since I watched it yesterday. I genuinely haven't. And, you know, I've been at points today while sat on the sofa watching telly, staring into the distance, and my other half's going, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, The Exorcist. I love it. It just will not leave my head. And another technical point that I have to call out, because we talked about this on Halloween as well, is the, the theme which is the again, use of the theme. I need to talk about this. Which is in seven eight, which is another asymmetrical Bizarre time signature. Time signature. Yeah. So again, you know, uh, another kind of instance of like early horror um, scoring that kind of influenced everything that came afterwards. Um, and I'm I just do, I, even I, thinking about that. Yeah. Like thinking about using score in a strange way, yeah, hadn't hadn't really been done in horror films. Yeah, and I know there's a whole story behind the score because I believe the original score was basically chucked out, wasn't it, at the last minute? It was, and, yeah. yeah. Um, but it just works. But what's interesting in this one um, is that it's much more melodic than Halloween's one is. So Halloween's mm. is designed to to really disconcert you both from a rhythm, but also from a sound. Um, perspective. Whereas this one, there's all. Um, it's almost like you know the. And maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but like the kind of more melodic sound of it is like Regan the Child, and then you've got the irregular time signature, like the possession coming in and yeah. throwing you off. Um, Absolutely. So that really caught me as well. Um, so it's only used twice, yeah. isn't it? Which is bonkers to me because it's such an iconic theme. I assumed it was everywhere, but. And where they use it, like the first time they use it, is about halfway into the film. And again, she's just going for a walk in the street, isn't she? And then it's the theme. Yeah, exactly. So, Why do you think it was used there? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, to build on, Albert, what you were saying, that it's kind of the melodic um, idea of things are... I mean, the opening scene with Reagan, we know there's an issue because it's Chris waking up and she can hear whatever's going on in the attic. Rats. So t- really? Mm. It's mm. never rats. <laughs> but it was 1973. She hadn't seen the demon film. No. Um, I was actually, I was, I was just doing a check there to see, um, because Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells uh, is yeah. a separate, that is a studio album, but it yes. was, that was also 1973. So I was trying to find, was it 
taken and adapted for, or was it written for? And at this point in time, I can't. I I don't it know. It could be either. Yeah, is the, is, it could be either. So, um, I think whatever happened, it fits. Yeah. It's one of the most well-known horror movie theme tunes ever, and it's not that scary in a nice. The is it weird to say in is, a nice way? So you know the melodic bit, it isn't. But then you've got the stabbing sound that kind of comes in the bing, the really sharp. Oh, there is a bit of yeah, it. Yeah, no, oh, I, I, think, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think yeah. Albert's right. You've got the melodic bit, which is the child, and then the the stabbing of the possession coming in part way through. And there ends the uh, music theory lesson for this week. <laughs> but oh, yeah, man. no, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, probably the the thing that I will take away like this to me almost was like it's an artistic film as far as I'm concerned. It is, a, it is, you know, uh, William Friedkin like creating just a masterpiece. Uh, yeah. On, on this camera. is how you make a film. I mean that that opening ten minutes in Iraq. Is so layered, so nuanced, and has so much to do with what comes afterwards. But it feels like it doesn't on first watch. Yeah. Um, so that just kind of really blew my mind, and so intellectually, I found the film fascinating. Um, you know, I want to kind of go away and read up much more on on the film and how they went through it all. Um, but you know, so so I think that's the first thing for me. But then the acting as well is incredible. Um, I don't think anyone puts a foot wrong in this film. Any of the actors? No. Uh, Damien, just you feel for him, don't you? In the casting is phenomenal because you feel sorry for him before you know anything about him. Yeah, he has such an intensity in his eyes, doesn't he? He's yeah. he's a guy that's troubled, and you can see that literally from his face. Um, yeah. And. Uh, yeah, so I was really kind of taken by it. He's got quite, he's quiet in the film. And then, so when it gets to the exorcism itself and he's suddenly much more animated, it's it's really disconcerting. Um, yeah, absolutely. But for me, it was all about Ellen Burstyn because I thought she was amazing. Yeah, incredible. Oh, she's so yeah, good. Just fantastic. Just really sells it as, you know, the caring mother, obviously, but also as a woman who just doesn't understand you know, why can't people give her a straight answer? Why, why can't, can't you diagnose my child? She has very clear symptoms. Why are you not giving me any answers? The frustration um, is so palpable. Um, and then she apologises. Whenever she has an outburst, she says, oh, I'm really sorry, I know it's not your fault. You just, she's in dire straits, isn't she? But it's interesting as well, another thing I picked up on was that every time she gets frustrated, she uses Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Yes, it stands out like a sore thumb. And, and as it? someone who's obviously not that religious, um, it just, again, shows you how religion kind of pervades into everyday life for, for people even who weren't it's, religious. It's just so, yeah. oh, so masterful. It's good as well, because in that scene where the, the 47 psychiatrists turn around and say, you know, are you religious? The, the way she sells it's like, she had never considered, look, yeah. What are you bringing religion into this for? But as you say, it's always been there throughout. It's like, you know, Jesus Christ, or we obviously open with Father Merrin. Um, you know, are either of you religious? What? Where did that come from? Yeah. What? Yeah. And there's this whole thing about Damien losing his faith. Um, is He says to Father Merrin, yeah, I think I've lost my faith. And is that because of his mother? Is it because he's... I get the feeling like there's... 
they're trying to tackle the disrest that is in the Catholic Church at this time as well. Um, and is is he kind of? I don't like where the church is going and what they're allowing to happen. I need to reevaluate my own faith. And then he's asked to do something which is so ancient. It is basically one of the founding one of the founding things of Catholicism was these crazy exorcisms that they had to do. So he's being asked to do something that he's trying to turn his back on and it's oh it's well, he's, yeah, because he's juicy. Because he's a psychiatrist as well. Like he's clearly a guy who focuses on reason. And then yeah, he's doing massive with, internal and, conflict, and then trying to rationalise something that he can't make sense of, um, yeah. and it just kind of amplifies his own insecurities in his face. And I think that, for me, is the the real theme of the film: is like you know, um, crisis of faith, and actually, for every yeah. for all the good in the world, there's evil. You know that kind of constant balance. Um, but the way he, it's done in the characterization and just the way it's played in the movie is incredible it's just so subtle um and then when he has these sort of explosive um reveal at the end you know where he's like you know take me take me um that just becomes so much more powerful i think um it really does yeah yeah so it's definitely like fascinated by his character and it's also interesting that you know there's a certain amount of romanticism of the Catholic Church here a little bit because they're obviously the the knights in shining armor who come to the rescue and save the girl. But other than the holy water hurting her, what do they actually do? It's the take me, take me thing that actually yeah. the the demon or the devil is actually in control and chooses to jump into Damien. The exorcism itself does it actually have an effect? The so there's there's a few different schools of thought on the main theme of the film. Um, and, you know, one of the ones that I subscribe to is that Reagan herself is just, uh, you know, an unfortunate pawn. And that the target was always Merrin and by proxy Karis. And now it becomes Karis by the end because, I think we're, we're into the spoilers here, obviously, Merrin dies during the exorcism. But it was an attack on their faith using the innocence of this little girl. There's a, there's a fantastic deleted scene, which oh, it's, you know, are, should these scenes have been deleted? Should they not? It gives a tiny little bit of um, exposition that I think Freakin felt was just a little bit too on the nose. But it basically explains why Reagan. Because if you really look at the film as presented, there is no reason. As no, to why it's totally Reagan. random. She just starts yeah. acting batshit. Exactly. People people could say, oh, is it because she was playing with the Ouija board? And people people suggested that maybe that's what drew the demon's attention. But that in itself wasn't the crime that brought her to the demon's attention. It was, you know, potentially the fact that she was just beginning to develop sexually that, you know, she was about to hit puberty, that she just became this vessel of how can we corrupt innocence? And top line, if the Catholic Church is supposed to be, you know, paragons of, you know, innocence and virtue, you know, what better way to attack that than to destroy and corrupt something that is supposed to be innocence and virtue? And that also kind of comes into it with the Black Mass 
that's uh, it's performed off screen, but you see the desecration of the statue of the Virgin Mary. But the attack was always against Merrin in particular, but we didn't see an awful lot of Merrin and Pazuzu's story. But Merrin knows who this demon is when he walks into the room. He's dealt with this demon before. Karis, who is having this crisis of faith, is asked to perform this ritual, which you cannot successfully perform unless you have 100% faith in what you are doing. You cannot go through the motions. And that is another theme. It's how he managed to reclaim his faith through losing all of this innocence and losing all of this, I don't know, Reagan, possibly happiness, the happiness of a, of a young girl, something that gets completely corrupted. Um, and there's my there's my mind locked down for a few minutes. So, so what was the deleted scene? The deleted scene is, it's during the exorcism, the, the two priests are taking a break, and Karis literally says, why this little girl? Oh, to which no, Maren, so to which Maren that, says... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 what. Thankfully, it's widely available, and um, Car- uh, Merrin just goes basically shit luck. Yeah, it could so be. So that's yeah, that's in the director's cut, which so I, that's why I was interested because I didn't know if I'd seen it and not realised. So yeah, it is a bit of a tacked on scene, um, and it is literally just um, um, yeah, they do just go just innocence. Just it's an attack on innocence. That's all it is. So I can see why he removed it. Um, mm. Man, they tackle some stuff with religion in this film, don't they? Yeah. I don't know how how you chaps feel about it because I I come from a, a non-religious family that goes back generations. We've been heathens, I think, ever since Henry VIII. But I think you, you guys have a Catholic background of sorts. Yeah. Being being good Irish chaps. So how how well, does that, that tie into what your education i guess because my, my my religious education is very poor i mean there's definitely you know talk of evil and you know spirits and all that that we would have encountered in our years of indoctrination um because oh, um and i think if i was to watch this film you know 15 years ago i'd probably have a i probably would have been more disturbed and upset than i am now um, but I think it's difficult because I talk, talked about it earlier. Actually, they kind of romanticise Catholicism a bit in it. Bizarrely, they expose all of the fucked up shit they do, but then at the same time ro- romanticise it, as you said, as a as a overall force for force for good in inverted commas. Yeah. So, um, you know, it definitely there there are certain things that shock you. I think if you've been brought up, and Sean, feel free to agree or disagree with me, but like the desecration of the statue was particularly shocking because that's something you would have seen at Mass every Sunday because every church has one. So you're kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's really creepy. Um, and that actually upset me more than the crucifix did because not many people have a crucifix lying around the house like that. So so just to clarify, the crucifix, do you mean the crucifix? Oh, I'm pretty sure you don't need yeah, to clarify. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty no, sure no, we don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is the scene that has stuck with me. I cannot believe that made it to cinema. That, well, I mean, this film, uh, I'm sorry, you probably know this, but this film, it was banned for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's an account of this online, but I think part of the reason it was banned was 
the fact that it depicts things that are against the church. I mean, this is this is at a time when the church had a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Well, um, they managed to the they managed to ban the Holy Grail for fucking ever, didn't they? So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Monty Python. I think it, sorry. it was it was 1999 when this got a VHS release in the Jesus UK. Jesus Christ. That's, that's sorry, how Jesus recent. Christ. <laughs> well, that's how recent we're talking. I might just title this episode "Jesus Christ." <laughs> Jesus Christ. Brackets. Sorry. Um, yeah. Hashtag not but, sorry. <laughs> but, but but that's it because I mean ninety nine. This gets the wide release. So yeah. So I was born eighty eight, and so I spent the ninety. You know, I, we went to mass on a Sunday. Uh, long since stopped. Um, but yeah, I was an altar boy for a while because my my uh, primary school we were attached to the local oratory. Um, it was we shared a sports hall, like the, you you extended the church into the sports hall, that kind of job. Like we really shared space. Um, but so I get so Albert, I absolutely understand what you say when I saw it. Like it is, it is still even though it, as I say, it's been many's a moon since I've uh, gone to church for something that wasn't a wedding. You know, um, seeing the statue. Yeah. Desecrated. I kind of got it. Why'd you do that? You know, you know, like that's still in me. That's still in me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I guess, I guess, for me as well, because you know, this film has been parodied a lot. So you know, yes. you only have to think about. And weirdly, for someone who doesn't like horror movies, I've watched all the scary movies because I yeah. like I like funny films. So I didn't really get the references at the time, but like, you know, what's this? I think it's Scary Movie Two, and you've got Father Mac, Father is, McFeely, yeah, yeah. Um, and. You know, so those those bits, the kind of obvious bits like the crucifix and the head twisting and all that are parodied. That hasn't been parodied so much. So therefore, it really caught me off guard. That's um, true, actually. That's and, a very good and it's point. such a it's such a quick bit and it cuts away very quickly that you're kind of like reeling from it as you're moving into yeah. the next thing. You don't see it for very long. And so you do get that a lot of this film where there's these kind of really quick cuts away to something really different and you're kind of just processing what's happening and you're on to the yeah. next bit. Um, so, you know, and I think the other the other bit that kind of freaked me out that because I didn't really expect it, even though it was in the book, was um, when um, Karis's mother was in the um, hospital in the, in the asylum. That was really yeah. disconcerting as well. And again, that kind of... It was almost like, you know, as the, the women came up and tried to grab him, it was almost like the spirits trying to possess him. You know, it, it was, yeah. it, it, again... They take his collar yeah, as well. Take the, the, collar. the symbolism there. So the, Incredible the, amount of symbolism. There really is. And so, yeah, so they're the kind of things that kind of, as someone who's been raised a Catholic, will catch you off guard, I think, more than anything. And because the priest is seen as, you know, often in smaller communities, at least when I grew up in a, a small um parish on the west coast of ireland like the priest is the most important person in the in the parish and is sort of seen yep. as faultless and then you see two very broken priests in this film who are you know one struggling with his faith and one struggling with you know literal demons literal demons and his heart you know and, <laughs> yeah. and it's just fascinating to see that and i think that would have been really disconcerting at the time as well because even in the 70s in america priests would have held a certain stature oh, okay. Um, it's all credit to the film that it plays on that those feelings so so well. It is so aware of everything that it's doing. Nothing is by accident. Everything is a statement, isn't it? Yeah, and it is. From what I remember as well, it is actually 
based on the notes from an actual exorcism as well. So, you know, is the, oh, is, Sean's got this. What's what's real and what's not? You know, even that kind of plays on your mind a bit. Sorry, Sean. Captain Over background knowledge. Enter. Little misexposition. Well, because uh, well, uh, I, I just because it plays into again to what we're talking about because the it's based on the 1949 case of Roland Doe, basically John Doe. So R- Roland Doe, uh, who was a teenager. It's at this stage, it's pretty widely accepted to be that at at best. Um, it was a psychiatric issue, and at worst, it was a kid just playing it up for attention. Um, because uh, there's been a lot; it's been very well documented what wasn't done during the exorcism. Because there, there is a, I believe, in the book and in the film, there's a lot of talk about. I mean, there's a lot of steps they have to go through before you can put on the, you know the frock and get out the crucifix and start the chanting because yeah the church has to approve it it has to tick a certain amount of boxes yeah so um in this case the church approved it and by all by all accounts they seem to have approved it far too early um and both the priest who was involved in the exorcism and there was independent uh witnesses as well have gone there were things not done there were boxes not ticked um, there was uh, independent research which wasn't done, and um, Thomas B. Allen, who wrote uh, sort of the account of it, he said that at this stage you, there is no evidence whatsoever that that they could uh, I say evidence, but there is nothing that they could do to offer proof that this was real. And before he died, the the priest Walter Halloran said, "I will not go on record and say that this was a genuine." possession because i can't stand over that i cannot offer you yeah, the evidence that's like for that. saying right this wasn't a genuine sighting of the tooth fairy like you're trying to substantiate something that is complete no it's fiction. not no that's what i mean that's yeah. what i mean the priest himself had said no right like this this was not a possession yeah, but, um, yeah, I know, but it's, it's a weird There's... thing to like stick your flag in because it's like oh yeah no the one that i did in 1929 that was a real possession holy shit you should have seen what happened then well that's what i want to know like where did the checklist come from yeah, like no, well, that, well, that would have been, no, so. Sorry, uh, uh, potentially, I'm not explaining myself properly. I'm saying that the the exorcist said that was bullshit. Yeah, but what I'm we're saying is the they're all bullshit. Uh, yes. But so where do you, where do you delineate a real exorcism from be, a bullshit? Exorcism? Because the rights of exorcism are real. Time they're actually done. real. The rights of exorcism <laughs> are there, yeah. and the kind of criteria yeah. for an exorcism are real. Yeah. But who decided they're the criteria and what's it based on? That's what I want to know. Long it's, before there was ever such a thing as psychological yeah, studies yeah, or psychiatric, and once they, once people became aware of, you should remember all, all of the things that have been declassified as psychiatric illnesses, yeah. homosexuality, for example. But you know, all of these different things that have been like, oh, that's first of all, that's not a psychiatric yeah, issue. That a is problem, a psychiatric issue. If you're talking in seventeen different tongues. It's probably because you've got something wrong in your brain, not something wrong in your soul. And there was none of those checks so done. This, so that's where this... yeah. Sorry, that, this is an interesting thing. I remember one of the checks was talking in... So Damien couldn't remember all of the checks, but he remembered that one of them was talking in a language that you've never learned. Now, that is odd. Like, if you could prove that, like speaking French and you've never heard French, that's very, very odd and that's very, very cool. However, speaking in tongues is not a language. It's just gibberish. So how does yeah. anybody tick off 
that first tech check tech blah, 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 checkbox or tick box uh, unless they're they're just speaking in tongues in which case you've just invented a language so fine i think it has to be a specific I, language is my understanding so like in the film she speaks has, Latin. that's not possible so how has an exorcism ever happened because there's no way that she starts speaking mandarin and that's the only like I, well there is actually there is, is actually medically documented instance where people have had brain injuries and wake up speaking a different language yeah, but it's a language that they already know of, or they know exists, isn't it? It's not completely alien to them. Yeah, but I think speaking in tongues in this instance means another language, not a made-up language. Yeah. So, I mean, like, your frustration uh, <laughs> oh. is quite... I mean, <laughs> a- a- absolutely, because, like... It extends to this the is not me, This is not me, for example, defending exorcisms pre-1900, <laughs> but... Once the world became a smaller place, it was far easier to debunk this. Because, yeah, of course, of course, like, you, you got exposed to something yeah, I mean, here or there. I feel but like... Pre-1900, yeah. people just accepted it. I feel like you could have debunked it if you really wanted to back then as well, because it's, it's utter bullshit. But <laughs> there we go. So are imaginary friends, but not to worry. Um, Can I change subject for a second and ask you guys please, a question? Because I, I, I have a, a thought about this film. Do you think this film is a feminist film? Um... I would like... I think if you're being generous, then yes. I think it's hard to get into the mind of the director and then say what his intentions were, but there are definite female empowerment elements here. So that you have got like the priests and the doctors that are all prim and proper and you, your young girl saying, keep your fingers away from my cunt, because like, there is some girl power there. That is, you get your hands off me and... The only person that seems to have her marbles is Chris. She She's the one that's kind of thinking rationally and is like, just give me an answer. Yeah. It, the thought is that kind me, of where you were going? Well, it struck me this morning because, yeah, I think the characters who come right in the end of the female characters in that Regan and Chris end up, you know, getting to move on with their lives. All the main male characters essentially die. Um, <laughs> but there's also... They don't like, come off well. But just the fact that, you know, the way Chris is portrayed, she's fiercely independent, fiercely yes. vocal. Um, you know, you've got the the absent father, which is explored a bit more in the book, if I remember rightly. But, you know, she doesn't need him. Like, the, it, it would be an obvious choice in a story like this to bring the father in at some point. At along the last with, minute with to they save didn't. the day. And I just thought yeah. that was quite interesting. Um, and it just kind of stuck in my brain this morning over my morning coffee. It was like, actually, is there some feminist undertones to this film? Um, and that might just be me reading into it too much, but I was just curious if... No, I think you're right. I would love to know if that was a conscious effort, but it definitely has some, some of that. And I love that this film has stuck with you and you've been pondering it over your over your, your TV session this, this afternoon and over your morning yes. coffee as well. Yes. It's brilliant. I love it. Um, it is one of those films that makes you want to read. I immediately wanted to read into everything about this film, the entire background of how it was yeah, made. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And yeah, so there's there's lots I'm still processing, as you can probably gather. So I'm like figuring out all the different bits. And I keep thinking about different bits in them, maybe like the small moments, like where, if you remember, Regan is in bed reading a magazine. And on the front of the magazine, it's something like Trouble for the MacNeils or something about her mother and obviously about the the separation. Um, 
but actually it's foreshadowing what's coming um, and her craft area as well is just full of different references because you've got those little plasticine characters she's made and then the lieutenant finds one at the bottom of the steps and like there's so many oh, bits in there so I'm just good. like I just want to go through it frame by frame and like analyze the hell out of it but it it allowed, what was brilliant is that the film must have known that it needs to be rewatched in a time before VHS in a time before this was immediately going to be rewatchable because there's no way it hangs on that craft room long enough for you to take in absolutely everything mm. so it has a bit of foresight where it, it must have known to really appreciate it you're going to have to rewatch it yeah uh, can we talk so about much can we talk about the subliminal stuff as well because you've obviously got those flashes that come up Oh, oh the creepy I love face. it, I love it, I love the it, I love face. it, they are, so I remember, uh, I can't remember any dates for this at all, but back in the days, they, they had subliminal advertising, so it would be like a flash of a Pepsi can, for example, and then, mm, I suddenly want a Pepsi, it's kind of been debunked, but it was made illegal, if I remember rightly, so you, you can flash something on the screen, but it has to be for a certain amount of time, so you can't brainwash people, um, Obviously, the brainwashing thing is a little bit nonsense as well, but it is the, the images flash on the screen of the, the creepy woman's face just long enough to fucking unsettle you and then disappear. So the one that I had to rewind was the when she's walking through the house and it's dark and she the goes kitchen. through the kitchen. Yeah. And oh. her face flashes in the fucking extractor fan and my partner missed it. So I was like, can we rewind that? And she went, no. And I was like, why not? And she was like, because you've seen something that I missed and I'm, I want to keep missing it. I don't want to see that. <laughs> because it's fucked up. Yeah, because there's another one, isn't there, when she goes into the room at some point. There's another flash, I think. Um, yeah. But, oh, oh my yeah. God. They, they completely caught me off guard as well. It's like... Whoa. Yeah, because the, the film doesn't do jump scares until yeah. it does a fucking jump scare and then it, it gets you. Um... And I guess they are pictures of the demons that are possessing... Because I, I I know they say it's the devil, but there are multiple dead people that are possessing um, uh, possessing Reagan. So you've got, the obviously, uh, Damien's mother. Um, either she's doing an impersonation of Damien's mother, or it is her spirit. Doing the guy that's on the, um, the subway train, that's, yeah, spare a penny for an old altar boy. So she's either the demon is either plucking that straight from Damien's mind, or she's being possessed by multiple demons. What do you think? So it's uh, so the demon is Pazuzu, uh, an Assyri- uh, Assyrian demon. Which so this is this is where there there's been a bit of debate about the film because yeah, you're you're absolutely right. At one point, the demon identifies themselves as the devil, but Pazuzu actually predates. The Judeo-Christian devil. Right. So it would so be I older. Done any background reading into that? That's interesting. No, as I say, no, I've. Uh, this was something nearly after I saw it. I went, "Ooh, I'm interested in this." So I went and I went and I had a look. And that's um, the statue, isn't it, John? That you see. That's the statue. The statue that he finds in Iraq is Perfect. this depiction of Pazuzu, the demon. Now you mentioned, which I thought was brilliant, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to wait." Uh, you mentioned hearing the buzzing of flies and hearing that kind of thing. Pazuzu is the king of the demons of the wind and the bringer of famine. Yes. Um, now, here's the thing, which is, I thought this stuck out. And, and I, I, Spoiler, I don't have 
an ending or explanation to this. He is evil, but he is known to ward away bad spirits, protecting humans against misfortune. <laughs> okay. And that's it. I, I don't. I don't have somewhere to go. With <laughs> Take that. from that what you will. So, so, but yes, but he is also known as the master of deception. Uh, I so want to. I want to is... jump on that for a second because could go for it, yeah. could Pazuzu be thinking that the Catholic Church is the thing that is bad for humanity and the, and the misfortune that befalls them, and the holy water. So, Karis presents. Reagan slash Pazuzu with what he calls holy water and they freak out and he says that was just normal water so there's an argument was Pazuzu screwing with Karis? Yeah just playing along which I think that absolutely and just you know ha 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 Pazuzu knows they're real you know Pazuzu knows that they are a demon I'm saying they because there is it's not male or female in uh, in the story so (laughs) I don't know um and uh, it's a, it's it's very very frightening in that respect because this is in a way it is Satan in a way but it's not Satan as the Catholics would know Satan it's not Lucifer yeah pointy um, horns red cape yeah nothing to do with <laughs> that it is you know demons are you know these these terrible things that just cause trouble. Cause. Right, so let's be straight. They're, they're, they're to stop you from sinning. So the the de- the bad guys are there to keep you in check. So well, they all say they all say, that, for you. they all say that demons are fallen angels. So it's kind of almost yeah, so like they're a, the ones that have sinned. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like this is what could happen to you if you don't. Exactly, it's, they're, it's, they're the yeah. they're the bogeyman to keep you in check. So that's in the Christian interpretation. Mm-hmm. This is and and it's weird because this is older. This is just, there are bad things out there. Um, this is like, you, you see it a lot in um, lots of different mythologies. The old ones, the, the ones that were there before, they'll be there after. It's that kind of idea. It's like, they don't give a crap what you believe. Um, yeah. Pazuzu, it, one reading of the film in the text is that Pazuzu latches on to Meron and Karis simply because it can because their belief runs so deep that to ruin that belief is a massive victory. So why pick, and I love this so much, because they've deliberately picked a family that is at best agnostic, at, at the most extreme atheistic, so why not tear down a Catholic family? This is why I think it's more likely the demon's got a bit of omnipotence about it, and this is more to take down the Catholic priests so it, it can kind of see what's going to happen before it happens. So I will take this child because it will lead to A, B, and C, and I can take down these priests. Definitely, definitely. I think, and I think that's that was the crucial part of making Reagan and Chris. Um, I think lapsed Catholics. I would call them that they are aware of the power of the church in yeah. the way that you know in nineteen seventy three. They're you know, aware of the power of Christ. but yes aware of it enough for Chris to say I don't want a crucifix in my home yeah exactly but yet Chris is still fascinated by the priest she sees while out walking and wondering what they're doing so there is still an element of curiosity there Um, because they're part of the community isn't it so mm -hmm. everybody knows oh yeah that's Damien he's the local priest he's into psychiatry and stuff so yeah she still takes an interest in him 
And I think it's interesting as well that the other priest we see, um, the other younger priest, I can't remember his name, Dyer, at the party, is sort of like quite loose and, you know, maybe his morals aren't as tight as the other priests in it. And yet he's the one that survives. You know, so there's an interesting bit there as well that I've literally just thought about as you guys have been talking about this. Um, I'm not sure if if he knows. Uh, He was played by a real priest. That's Father William O'Malley. Played Father Dyer, and is he meant um, to be gay? Because he's no. I think that was a bit gay. that he. I think that's a bit that he was doing. Uh, but I think uh, you think about the piano when he's playing at the piano, and it's like the show would be all about yeah. me. I, I I think it's a bit different. I I really like Dyer. I love um, him. I think he's awesome. There's a there's a funny there's a funny story. Um, listeners, you, you you might be aware of this already. So the it's Dyer who administers the last rites. To Karis. Yes, which is and oh, that's a chilling it's, scene. It's, it is, but you, you'll notice that Dyer uh, just delivers a fantastic performance. Yes. He's, he's very badly shaken. What you might not notice is the handprint that was on his face because they did they did the scene a few times, and Father Matt he just wasn't doing it. He couldn't deliver it, and Friedkin was getting more and more frustrated with this, and so after. You know, X takes, he, you know, shut everything out and he says, you know, he said, you're not getting this. And to which Father Manny went, oh, you're right, I'm sorry. Freakin goes, do you trust me? He said, yes. Punched him in the face and started rolling the camera. Oh man, <laughs> that's fucked up. That's amazing. And that's the scene that's in the film. That, that I think is. That's, that's why I love the, awesome. That's why I love this character. <laughs> Didn't he also like... That's why I love the 70s. Like... Yeah, you'd never get to think of what would happen if you did that today. Jesus Christ. Didn't he also like properly actually freeze the bedroom so that they would be. Oh, he you would did. have oh, to, there to is get like, the breath out because yeah. that's not. Well, that's true. There was labour issues on this film. Yeah, I bet. Uh, Ellen oh, Bernstein, man. I think, still today, has issues with Friedkin over her treatment on that film, particularly where Reagan kind of backhands Chris and mm. she goes flying across the room. So she yeah. was on a winch, and they were like, "We'll do it a certain way." They didn't, and she has permanent back damage because of Jesus it. Jesus Christ! I mean, um, it's... but Friedkin got the shot. Uh, I mean, you're not wrong, and this this film feel this film feels quite Hitchcock, and Hitchcock is famous for being an absolute dipshit to his to his actors yeah. and to his cast as well, like absolutely hideous. Um, and I don't think you can defend it because I, I mean, if you take Tarantino for example, there's the big story about he's the one that spat on um, um, what's her name, sorry, Uma Thurman um, in Kill Bill. He had to be the one that spat on her while she's on the floor, and it's like, really? Did did you have to be though? Like, it didn't even have to be real spit. So there is this fine line between an abusive director knowing what he needs to do to get a performance, and then a power mad director that can do whatever the fuck he wants. And I think mm. that's a line that we can't we can't cross, especially today anymore. But. Damn it, Hitchcock and Friedkin definitely did. Kubrick is another one. Kubrick's Kubrick, yeah. Full Metal Jacket as well, just... going a bit older. Like there, there were bastards, but they were Damn a boss. It, they got a good performance. And to yeah. use our, to use well, that, our that refrain from last week, it was the seventies. It was the seventies, and everyone <laughs> it was smoked. Seventies. Literally, everybody in this film smokes. By the way, yeah, everybody. I'm amazed that young Reagan didn't like light up and just start smoking away. <laughs> Probably just for want of being tied to a bed. Yeah. Ah, oh, Karis, will you give me a light, will you? <laughs> light it up. Um, so, 
super quickly on like the foreshadowing again. There's another one. It's right. It's when um, it's right at the beginning, and Chris is entering. They're setting up the scene that she's recording, and the director is like, "I need a priest and I need a nun." And I was like, "Fuck yes, you will." <laughs> Little lines like hang that. a lampshade on this. It's so good. I need an old priest and a new priest. I didn't even realize that was a, a thing. Like that was. Obviously, you know that from Austin Powers, but one other, what, right, it's just brilliant. One other thing I'm just thinking about now and the whole kind of idea of religion is, you know, a lot of the, the opening sequence in Iraq, we see a lot of, like, we see people praying at one point, don't we? Yes. Um, pretty sure you see various holy people throughout the, the film. It's, like, definitely a recurring theme, isn't it? But the, the way that... Um, religion is portrayed in that part of the film is very different to how it's portrayed later. It's almost like a purer, uh, clearer version of religion than what you see once you move to Georgetown, which is, again, just sort of an interesting an interesting choice by the director. But It is. It's kind of an acknowledgement that, you know what, Catholics, you're not the only religion in the world. Yeah, it's and it's also, it's by no means the oldest. I mean... No. No. The uh, religions around, particularly in the Middle East, sort of predated thousands. Way, of years. way, 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 way earlier. Um, and I think Albert, you put it very well there. It's it's a purer in the way that potentially Pazuzu is a purer form of evil. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is there does there there's no. Yeah, he doesn't care what religion he's fucking with, as Not long really, as he's fucking no. with a religion. Yeah, whether it's a you know it could be Karis could have been a rabbi. You know, he could have been... Yeah, the crucifix could have been, could have been, been a Quran. It doesn't matter. He's yes, just exactly, chaos. Yeah. Um, God damn it, I love this film. I it's also, so good. I also have a, a, a technical question. I don't know whether this is a uh, a blooper or whether it was deliberately done this way, but when... Um, uh, before the crucifix scene, the famous one, um, Chris takes the crucifix downstairs to ask who's put this in my yeah. daughter's room but yet it gets back up to the room for the infamous scene so did uh regan creep down the stairs and grab it or what off screen well, because that the did... point is we never find out how it gets in there in the first place yeah, do we exactly so so maybe it can just summon the crucifix from somewhere but that was one thing that I was, you know, on the second watch, I was like, ah, interesting. And I love that you've watched this twice yes. as well. It was brilliant. It, yeah. That's so good. In 24 hours. Yeah. Like, so it's... I watched the, the theatrical cut and then the director's cut. Oh, that's awesome. And did you find then, because they were so close together, did you find that the director's cut added or took away? Um, I preferred the theatrical opening um, where it's, it felt more um more solid i preferred the director's cut for how it kind of wraps up and the ending um and definitely you know for the creepy walking down the stairs upside down bit which yeah freaked me out a bit on the second watch oh wait is that not in the theatrical no cut? no, no oh. that was and that's that was part of the infamy of the release of the the special edition oh it's um, creepy 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 oh. reinstated that that, that seed in the book uh now i realize why they didn't do this but in the book she's nearly bent double yeah, yeah. and they they be only be, they only become aware of her again this is one of the two scenes in the book that i've never forgotten um so chris and sharon are, i don't think uh, the scene with uh is it burke yeah 
is the the director's name. I, I don't think that happens at the same time. Uh, I might I might be wrong. Please feel free to correct and me. And in the book, comments. I think they, they actually go into more description of how he dies, whereas it sort of yeah. happens off screen in the film. It kind of glosses over yeah. it, yeah. Um, and Sharon is facing Chris, and then on the page, I don't know where Sharon screams because Reagan is right behind her, <laughs> bent double, and she's licked the back of her ankle. <laughs> Oh, and I thought that's. I'm not sleeping tonight. That's the nope, end of that. Nope, nope. Back of the angle. Yeah. Who the fuck does that? Really? Oh, oh. stamp yeah, that, on her now. Stamp on her in the face. That t- <laughs> that tongue creeps me out as well. Oh, massively, man. It. Oh, this, so there is something I wanted to say. So this film is beautifully shot, and it's very adult, very grown up, very thoughtful. Until it gets to the possession scenes, and they're almost cartoony, aren't they? Like, the, the things that she says and the way that she looks is such a stark contrast from this very mature, ponderous film that we get all around it. Was that just me? No, I, I, don't, th- no, I don't think it's just, uh, just you. I think, but I think noticing that was deliberate. Yeah, I, th- I think, no, as you totally say, it's, it's. It's a you know it's a very thoughtful. cold pace or whatever, and then out of nowhere, this filth that is yeah. just coming out of Regan, uh, Reagan, sorry, um, and the way that she speaks and the way that she looks, and a lot of it still still holds. Okay, yes, the head spin, which is infamous now. I mean, yes, you can tell it's a puppet, but you know, as you probably could in 1973, they had as good eyesight then as they do now. Mm. But it's it's just it's so separate, and it for me it feels like it's the deliberate choice of that. The demon is, I am fucking with these priests, <laughs> but I'm also fucking with you in the back row. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is an experience, and it I is. want you to be as uncomfortable as they are. Because you just imagine the really thoughtful scenes of, of him with his mother and the guilt that he feels that he wasn't there at the very last moment, and then her spinning head saying, fuck me, fuck me, rah! And it's just, they belong in, they almost belong in two different films, don't they? And I, I, I completely agree. It's totally deliberate, because this demon gives zero shits what Damien is going through at all. Enjoys what he's going through. Yeah, revels. That's why he plays in... the scene of his mum. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's oh, awful. that is hideous. That's and that's what pushes him over the edge, isn't it? Well, that and killing Father Merrin. <laughs> that's kind of does it for him as well. Just take your pick, really. Yeah. yeah. Oh Jesus. Um, just, pff, what else do you want to say about the film? Like I, it is a um, masterclass, isn't it? I've got a, a minus tidbit of information, which is that. Um, Father Damien, the actor who plays him, is Jason Patrick's father. Yes. Awesome. That's interesting. Go. Yes, he is. Cool. Yeah. Jason, like Jason, Jason Miller, Jason Miller is it, the yeah. master. So Jason, Jason. Jason, Jason. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, and, uh, if, I just want to just... No, go really, for it. So, uh, so the voice of the demon. Yeah. Right? So the voice of the demon in the initial release back in 1973 went uncredited. Um, was an actress called Mercedes McCambridge. And apparently, to get that voice to sound like it did, uh, this is, I'm quoting Freakin, she did things that frightened Freakin for the rest of his life. Oh my god. To get her voice like that, as in chain smoked, drank heavily. This is, and I've seen an interview with her, 
perfectly normal looking woman. You know, just she just sold it because, with all respect to Linda Blair, who gives a very, very, very good performance, you wouldn't ask Linda Blair at age whatever to try and do that voice. Of course voice. not. And you, you know? haven't got the same audio software that you do now where you can just modulate a voice exactly. and edit it. Exactly, now you could. So, yeah, so, but it took a long time to get that actress's name in the credits. She's there now. That's um, crazy. But, yeah, because I think they wanted to dial up the mystery yeah. of the, uh, the demon. But, yeah. So there is, there is one, it's a bit random, but there is one little arc that I don't get in the film, and it's the Nazi butler. So Burke goes... No, the Swiss boy. Yeah, I know he's not a Nazi. <laughs> I get it, yeah. Um, but Burke goes fucking mental at him, just calling him a Nazi and complicit and all of this stuff. And then the butler goes crazy at him and strangles him and whatnot. Is it just to show him being a jerk? I don't get the butler's arc. Because he starts off by seeming really, really simple. And then he's a vessel for Burke to be a jerk. And then he's super, super protective of the family. But I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm just... I don't know. Maybe he doesn't matter and I'm just reading. It, it feels like because everything in this film does matter... It feels like he was a bit random. Um, I think it was partly to... Partly to kind of highlight Burke's character a bit more and the fact he was a messy drunk. Um, but is it also maybe to just sow a seed of doubt in the audience? Because obviously he is still in the house when the possession's going on and maybe it's sort of like, you know, is it a bit of a MacGuffin kind of thing? But it's true, I haven't really thought about that. Um... I just feel yeah. like everything has a purpose and he doesn't really, other than to to be the evidence that the rats aren't rats. Um, and then he helps them get out of the house. I don't know. He just He's he's the only bit of the film that really bugs me because he feels incomplete. Or incomplete, I, sorry. I feel he's the red herring, right? So what I, what I took from that, because very shortly after Burke calls him a Nazi, Burke is found dead. And it's very quickly established um, that Burke didn't just oh, fall. Right, okay, and cool. what I take as well, if you think, so this was, so the novel was written, so, no, well, no, we'll go with the film. The film was 1973, so we're talking, this is less than 30 years after the end of the war. Oh yeah, definitely. All right? Yeah. So if you think about it, we're 2020 as we record it's this. Within so living years memory. ago, it was 1990. Yeah, it's within living memory for yeah. most people. So you have Burke, who is clearly a bastard. Yeah. I mean, and, and he is, he's not a nice person at all. And so he hears the accent, and what does he do? He brings up something which is still Raw. quite fresh yeah. in the, um, you know, the the zeitgeist, if you like, the the public psyche. Because you know, obviously, I'm generalising here, but now things tend to go like that because information moves a lot faster yeah. now than it used to. Whereas back then, <laughs> you know, so the, I think that that explanation really works for me. The the fact that oh. it was a, a possible red herring and motivation for. Him to have killed Burke. Yeah, that kind of works out. That's what I should... And then, oh, they're not rats. And then he goes up. But the, the clue is there that he's done the job, which is the, she sees the mouse traps. So the clues are there. And yeah, the biggest red herring being Burke's head has turned 180 degrees. And the, the cop who we haven't mentioned at all, who is just brilliant, uh, Kinnerman, um, he, he says... Well, it's possible. It could have happened in the fall, even though nobody nope, believes. Nope. There's not, not one a, in a chance. Mate, he says it's one in a thousand, but I think it's more like one in a million. Mm. Um, um, the ending, I'm not... So the director's cut ending, where 
he he gives back the 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 necklace from uh, Damien goes off to talk to the cop and they go off to see a film what does that add what does it do that's that's more of a i think a book addition in the book he's he's a bigger character and he there's this all this constant thing about you know he tries to play the bumbling cop even though he's smart oh i got columbo vibes from him big time yeah Big time Colombo, and that's how he ingratiates himself. Is I've got tickets to the movies. I've got tickets, you know, and uh, I, I don't know if he says it in the film but something about start of a beautiful friendship, which of course is lifted directly yeah. from Casablanca and everything, and and it's all a big send up of that. But I think that's bigger in the book yeah. than it is in the film. So I say he's the one bit of the film I don't need. I don't think the detective adds. It felt like he was a really, really, really well developed character that we didn't get to see develop. So he's established, he's got his quirks, brilliantly performed, but wasted in this movie. I don't know what he adds, other than there's a murder inquiry because they know he didn't commit suicide. I don't know I don't know what else he adds to the movie. Fair enough. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. By your blank expressions, I, I think uh, you agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really cool, but probably belongs in a different film. Potentially. He's the... Um, this is something myself and Albert spoke about this evening. Um... There is, uh, there is obviously film sequels, but William Peter Blatty wrote the next chapter, if you like, in Jesus. You'd call it a, you know, the universe of this at this stage. Uh, it's called Legion, and it was made into a film, The Exorcist Three uh, Legion, uh, and that the the cop is the main character in that. Cool. And um, a, and it, again, the Columbo up to ninety yeah. and everything. Um, and Father Dyer, uh, that that story continues, and it and it's, it's done very very well. No, that makes but, more um, sense. But yeah, I think yeah. Now they didn't, they weren't introduced in this with the idea of making a sequel. No, no, no. But in the book, I imagine it's developed more, isn't it? It's a little bit, yeah. So I think that's a good way to jump off. Actually, what's the expanded universe of The Exorcist? How many movies are there? I know there's a TV show that currently has two seasons. I, and I, Prime, I, unfortunately, I, think. I believe it's only two seasons. Right. I think they're they're done now. Um, all right, so there's the Exorcist. There's the Exorcist Two: The Heretic, which is always voted among the top three worst films ever made. Oh Jesus! Um, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I think it's kind of you need a bottle of whiskey to get through it. Right. Um, then there's the Exorcist. Then there's the Exorcist Three: Legion, which I was saying this before. I'm told it's a very good film. It just it, it it's always compared to the original. And yeah, that hurts. Stop it. doing that. It, yes. Let yeah. me guess. Is there um, an Exorcist for Redemption or? There's actually right. So there's Exorcist four and Exorcist four. Excellent. Right? So there's two films. Right. There's uh, Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist, and okay. there's um, oh I can't remember the title of it now. Anyway, as I'm looking for that title of it, they are the same film. As in the same scenes, the same footage, by two different directors, and they vaguely followed two different storylines, but it was all to do... There was an absolute cluster F during production, and... I don't know why you've been so shy like, around saying fuck. <laughs> We've dropped uh, some well, I couldn't, I, See, I'm, I'm, I'm a lapsed Catholic, Ian. I couldn't possibly... <laughs> absolute um, foobar. But uh, it's, it's one of those kind of... But in terms of are they decent films no absolutely oh, exorcist the beginning yeah you're, Great. you're dead right good but they're both stars Stellan Skarsgård as the same 
character. Right. Like, it's very I, mean, much, I'll I don't watch, know why I'll they released watch Stellan Scars, Scars him do anything. Mm. But hmm, Has, hasn't there um, also been a reboot of the original announced for next year? Yes. Did I hear that? Just just literally saw that Yeah, day, I know. There's why? no was, why, was, why? Not, what, why what, do what I could like you that? do to it? I don't just don't. It's iconic, as I keep yeah. saying. Remake a film that didn't get a fair go before, or it was maybe made before its time, before we were ready for it. Don't remake a classic. Remake Exorcist Two. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I mean, wasn't there an Exorcist yeah. Two that came out in '99 or something? Am I just making Not that up? Um, potentially, or it could be one of these prequely ones. Yeah, that, it could I think be. the Exorcist anyway, Three was the '90s, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, what is it about horror films that just loan themselves to being rebooted and just well, redone actually, hear, ad nauseum? Do you want to hear something mental about The Exorcist, which you won't thank The Exorcist for? Right. Right, so if you think back to Universal, right, back in the days, so you had 47 Dracula films yeah. and 99 Frankenstein yeah. films, but they were never given... The sequels were always just... What are you doing this weekend? With all respect to all the people who were in those sequels, they were never given the kind of and the marketing billing. team behind them, exactly. And they were never given <laughs> any of that. They were just expected. The Exorcist Two, for all of its many failings, was one of the first. This is going to be a horror franchise. This yeah. is going to be big deal, guys. We are doing a sequel to because Psycho Two, because Psycho was nineteen sixty, so that's much earlier, right? But Psycho Two had not yet dropped. Jesus. And wouldn't wow. drop, in fact, for quite a while. So that, although that previous film predates this, um, it actually that so franchise took dawn, a longer gap. The dawn of the franchise. In some, you can ways. kind of blame The Exorcist yeah. a little bit for these horror franchises. So I think there's what eight Saw films. There's going to be a fifth Scream film. Some of which are great. Yeah. You know, so, some horror sequels are there's, fantastic. There's about fourteen last. A wrong turn films or whatever it is or last six and there's just stop stop it one last house on the left just fucking enough oh, that's already <laughs> yeah i mean wouldn't it, i think we're, we've decided that we're going to stick with the classics in inverted commas for this month but i think next year we'll definitely dip into some i really want to do a month of horror b movies where we just take the oh, bottom of yeah. the barrel bullshit <laughs> And Albert, if you didn't, if you man, if you had qualms about this month, you wait until next year. <laughs> We've been kind to you, right? Any other? I want to aim this particularly at Albert. Wrapping up thoughts. Tell me why you love this film and why you're going to revisit it and rewatch it. What is it that I don't think we've really got to? Why this film has stuck with you so much? Um, it's just. It's really caught my imagination and I honestly don't know why. It's the combination of like the technical elements and how brilliantly it's put together. So intellectually, it's really satisfying. From the minute the credits rolled, I couldn't stop thinking about the film. I was thinking about going to bed last night. I was thinking about it when I woke up this morning. And that has to be the sign of a good film, right? It's the fact that it sticks with you. Um I think probably because I feel like, you know, when you get to, to my age and you've seen most of the classics, um, it's rare to find a movie that good, if you know what I mean. It's satisfying, isn't satisfying. it, to, to find yeah. a, a hidden gem. And I mean, it's not exactly been hidden, has it? <laughs> you know, so, well, no, but, yeah. <laughs> an, an avoided gem. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like 
you know, and I know there's many more films to come yet, but I feel like this will be a special moment for me in the month of October with you guys. And I have you to thank for making me watch this film um, because I probably would have just carried on my life without ever watching it. So I just feel massively enthused, fascinated, um, you know, intrigued uh, and you know, a good film does that to you. So, yeah, it's gone straight into my top ten, I think. I've just got the biggest grin. When you messaged us um, saying that how much this film had stuck with you and how have I not seen this film? And, yeah, that at some point in your life, you would have found it, you would have watched it. But the fact that doing this together has stumbled you onto a film that is now going to stay with you and that you want to rewatch and you want to analyze. Yeah. It feels like we made the film and we're showing it to you. <laughs> like that is the beauty of sharing films and sharing cinema together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, I never would have predicted that exorcism that um, sorry, the exorcist was the film that would do this to you. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it's, it's so good. It's not a horror to me. It's a it's a piece of art and it, it, it's a it's a it's a film. Yeah, it, that's, it's a, it's a movie. That's the summary for me. I think it's one of those things. It, it it's proof that a good film is a good film, regardless of the genre. Absolutely, and regardless of the time that it was made as well. Like you can, I, the only thing that dates the film for me is the hairstyles and the fashion, because <laughs> that immediately dates the film. But if you put yeah. that to one side, especially if you watch the HD remaster. It could have been made last week, and it is yeah. up there in terms of quality and and level of filmmaking. It's oh, it's stunning. It's brilliant. And if that hasn't convinced anybody listening to 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 watch it, go out and watch the film. Even though we've spoiled the heck out of it for you, <laughs> I think strangely the 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 parts of the film that we've enjoyed the most aren't the iconic famous scenes that you will have seen. So seventy five percent of this film. Is, is something you wouldn't have seen and probably can appreciate. And then the 25% is the stuff that's been parodied and that you you know backwards and forwards anyway. So yeah, go go and watch it. It's awesome. The power of Christ compels you to watch this film. The power, the power of Christ, of Christ, compels, Christ you. compels you to watch the film and subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. <laughs> I love that. I love that meme. So you can attach it to everything. It's like, Couldn't start my car this morning. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> I love it. Right, I think that's it for next week. Um, are we going to tell everybody what we're watching next week? Um, sorry, in fact, in a few days, because um, we're going to do, a, we're going to try and give you a bonus episode each week to try and cram mm. as much horror inside Albert Hogan as possible. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it'd be fair to give people a warning because the next one's going to be a little oh, bit different than this one. Gonna the be... next one is yeah. is not the. It's, it is another. Um, complete classic of the horror genre it is another 70s film what film are we doing it's the texas chainsaw massacre um the film that uh has this one been banned as well i'm pretty sure this one was banned i'm pretty sure this is still banned (laughs) so so full disclosure we didn't watch the exorcist alongside albert i wish we had but I had no idea that he was going to love it this much. Um, we couldn't get it to line up this week. However, we are going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre together, and I cannot yes, fucking are. wait, because I know it only by reputation. I've never seen it either. So 
Sean is okay. going to have a treat as me and Albert lose our collective shit. Um, <laughs> I act like a big man, but I wet my knickers whenever I see a jump scare. Or Eat. we're not ready. I don't think we're ready, are we, Albert? No, but we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. It's happening. So I'm very tempted to record the video as well. Um, but we're definitely we're going to watch it um, together. We're going to we're going to record the podcast straight after, and you're going to have that to look forward to. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, you're going to say goodbye this time, Albert and John. Bye. 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 See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies. I, at least, would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. Sean couldn't care enough to record this with me. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at EnglishIrishGTM, email us at anenglishmanandanirishman at gmail.com, and check out our website, www.anenglishmanandanirishman.wordpress.com, where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find me on Twitter at Galactic underscore Dave, and you'll find Sean at Sean Ferrick. Thanks for being awesome, and we love you very much.